Would you grab your Bibles and turn to John 8? Let's read our text this morning. So Jesus is just after the Feast of the Tabernacles. He is dealing with the religious establishment, and they are questioning him, and that will continue today. And so, so look with me in, in John eight twenty one through 30, and that will be our time today. So he said to them again, and this is referencing back all the way to John chapter 7, verse 33, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin, and where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from below and I am from above. You are of this world and I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. And they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the written text that has come to us, that is trustworthy, it is true, it has no errors, and we, we stand there today. And there is much to learn in these words to be reminded of uh, freshly, or maybe for the first time for us to see today, important, important things that you're saying to these religious leaders who think they've got it all together, who think that they know where they're headed. And you will tell them today that they have no idea the reality of their lives. And so help us today, God, to understand truth. You, you are the one that we want to exalt today as we preach and as we listen. So may our posture, may our preaching, may our listening, may you be honored and glorified um, with our bodies and how we respond and our spirits soaking in your truth today. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So I want to talk this morning about where I am going. And as we begin today, Jesus encountering the religious leaders. And he is telling them one more time there is an opportunity to repent in the moment. Right there in the temple. For there is coming a time when there will not be an opportunity for people to turn from their sin because as he is telling them that they will die in their sins and eventually the end of the world is coming and the day is coming when it will be too late. And three times in these verses that we just read, Jesus tells these religious leaders that if they are not careful and they are not going to come to believe in him, then they will die in their sin and they will be eternally separated uh, from him. And so this repetitive words of Christ are really important for us to know today. So 2,000 years ago, as Jesus said these words, and as you and I sit here today, over the last couple of thousand years, this has been the response of the world. That Christ has come, the true light, and John wrote this in John 1.9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. 
And then John writes, he was in the world and the world was made through him. And yet the world did not know him. The world is still confused about who Christ is. And that's why this morning and why every Sunday it is critical for us to proclaim the truth of the Scripture so that we know the truth and we can distinguish from the lies. If you've been around for a while, our culture lies. It is grounded in untruth. And so one of the things that we do Sunday after Sunday as we gather here, we are reminded that there is something greater than what our culture has to say about life. And we as humans love our autonomy, and particularly human race hates, not believers, but the human race hates when God sets his standards and calls people to follow it. But I want to remind us this morning, freedom doesn't come from our being in control of our lives. Freedom comes when Christ is in control of our lives. And the world looks at that as restrictive. We as believers see that as incredible freedom. And so I want to remind us of that today as we walk through this because we're examining people who are shackled by religion and they think they figured it all out. They think they know where they're going. They think that that they're going to end up in a destiny of heaven and Jesus is going to tell them, no, you're not. You're not headed there. And he's going to communicate and and hopefully they will come to know um, and believe and he's going to give them one more opportunity to do that. So let's look at the first thing this morning in verses 21 and 22 and let's read it again so that we understand what's being communicated here. So Jesus said to them again, and again, this goes back to John chapter 7, 33 through 36, where he's already told them, I'm going to go away. And they're wondering, is he going to go among the Greeks? Or who, uh, the Jews among the Greeks have been dispersed. And this time it's a different thing. So he says, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. And where I'm going, you can't come. So the Jews said, is he going to kill himself? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. So twice, Jesus has been sharing at the Feast of the Tabernacles who he is. In John chapter 7, he stands up on the last and greatest day where they pour the water out over the altar. And he stands up and says, if anybody is thirsty, I am the one who can satisfy your thirst. We come to John chapter 8 at the Feast of the Tabernacles. They have these 75 foot high candles that burned at nighttime during the Feast of the Tabernacles, reminding them that, that of the light uh, that God gave them in the desert the pillar of fire at night, the cloud by day that led them. And so on the, on, after that, Jesus stands up when the candles have been put out. He stands up and he says, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so twice, Jesus is communicating to them, I am the one who satisfies. I am the one that you must come to. And he's pleading and he's tenderly offering to these people who are fighting him at every turn, offering him chances to repent. And now he's going to, as they're pushing back, say something new, and he's going to give a little bit of a finality, reality to them in their life. And so let's look at that. I want to share two really important things that Jesus says here in 21 and 22. And here's what he tells them. He says, listen, men, I'm about to go away, and I'm going to be gone, and you're going to try to find me, and you're not going to be able to. So we said to them in 21, again, I'm going away, and where I am going, you cannot come. He will say this one more time in John chapter 16, verse 28. 
as he speaks with the apostles and those in the upper room, he says, I came from the Father, and I have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world, and I'm going to the Father. I tell you, one of the most amazing things happened a couple of thousand years ago. Jesus had never had a beginning. He will never have an end. He upholds and sustains the world by the word of his power. He left the throne room of heaven. We just sang it. And he came down here and he wrapped it. God wrapped himself in skin. This glorious one whom the angels could not stop worshiping and, and affirming his holiness and his glory. He came here from the throne of heaven to a cradle in the dirt. He was here. And for about 33 years, 34 years, whatever the case may be, we kind of speculate on how, long, how, how, how fully, how old he was, earthly life. But here's the reality. God was present walking on the earth. You could go talk to him. I love to pray, but I can't wait to talk to Jesus face to face. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Can you imagine what it must have been like in a room or on a hillside to watch him touch a blind person's eyes and that person see and just celebrate and get excited about that? Someone who couldn't hear. All over he went healing. He was there. You could listen to him teach. You could talk to him. You could watch him laugh. You could see him walk. You could watch him eat and listen to the power of these words. Jesus says to them, I'm about to leave. And in about six months, he would be gone from the earth. And he would not, they would, all of these opportunities that the religious leaders had to believe and come to faith in Christ, he was going to be gone. He was going to ascend back to his father. And they weren't going to be able to find him on any streets in Jerusalem anymore, any streets on, or any villages And he's about to be gone. And this is a tender moment that he's saying to them, but it's a very clear moment. He's saying to them, I'm about to go. Six months I'm going to be gone because that's that's how far away we are when he's dying, when he's going to die on the cross. And he shares with them, I'm going away to the Father. And then he says these words to them, and we cannot miss these today. He communicates to them. So he said to them, I'm going away, and you're going to seek me. But here's the reality. You're going to die in your sin if you don't believe in me. And where I am going, which is back to my Father, if you do not believe and trust in my gift of my life being laid down for you as a substitutionary death for your sin, you can't go where I'm going. Now, I want you to think about the powerful words that he's saying there. I'm going back to my Father. I came from my Father. He sent me here to lay my life down, to die on the cross, to offer salvation to people. But you're rejecting that, and I'm going to go back to my Father. And you're going to seek me, and you're not going to be able to find me. But here's the reality. If you don't come to believe in me, you will never see me again. As a matter of fact, actually, they will see him one more time. Where will that be? At the last and final judgment. And it's too late at that particular point in time. So... Let me remind us of something that's important to know. There are two births. There is, you're here today, I'm assuming you were born. You just didn't show up this morning. And and so every one of us were born here on the earth. We are of the earth. We are of this planet. We are of sin because we are born in that reality. So there's a reality that we are born of the flesh. We are born of this world. But there's another birth that is absolutely necessary. And that's being born from above. And Jesus had an interesting conversation with one of these Pharisees by the name of Nicodemus. 
And he told Nicodemus in John 3, 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot, cannot see the kingdom of God. And where I'm going, you cannot come to where I am going. And so we must be born of Christ, born from above, if we are going to see Jesus again. So not only are there two deaths, there's an earthly, or two births, earthly birth, and then there is a spiritual birth of necessity, but there are also two deaths. And you don't want two deaths, you just want one death. This is critical. So there's a reality that, that Jesus is telling them, once in verse 21 and twice in verse 24, that they will die in their sin and be separated from him. And this is the most tragic death, to die in one's sin. And so he tells them in 21, so he said to them, I'm going away, you will seek me and you will die in your sin. And where I'm going, you cannot come. Jesus is not being ambiguous here. He is being rather blunt and he's being rather clear. And he's telling them, unless you believe in me, you will die in your sin and you cannot come to where I am going. It will not be possible. 2020 has been an interesting year, has it not? Just all the things that are here. And I want to remind us of something, and I want to make a very truthful statement right now. In regard to death, our world has no answers. It has no answers. You look at 2020, and you look at the fear that that has gripped the world, not just our American culture. It has gripped the world. And 2020 has revealed that the world's fear of death has gripped us, and the world has no answer to death. So the answer has been lockdowns, shutting down businesses, people losing their jobs, losing their business, not being able to pay their bills, losing houses. Um, The answer to death is stay away from people, which is unbiblical. The Bible says be in community and be in relationship with one another. And so, so this has just been the communication. Our world has no answers. And so the world tries to grab answers and, and, and the world tries to say things. And so the world has, has, oppression has increased. Okay, no, you can't do this. You can't meet with your family. You can't do this. And this has been the world's answer to, to this dilemma of fearing death. And I just want to remind us this morning, and I say this lovingly, but passionately. If you and I are believers this morning, we have no reason to live like that. Death to us is a welcome, it is a freedom from the constraints of this life where we step into the very presence of King Jesus. So we don't live foolishly, we live wisely in the midst of these days. But I just want to say to us, in the most loving kind of way, we as believers recognize that there is a physical death, but physical death does not have to be feared. Because there is one who came as the bread of life, come down from heaven. He laid his life down on the altar of the cross. And so for those who come and believe, and he does this great work, we don't fear a second death. Those who don't know Christ die twice. They die here on earth physically, and then they will die spiritually, eternally separated from God. But for those who know Christ, we die physically, but that death physically ushers us into life. 
life that is amazing in the very presence of God. And so Jesus is telling the religious leaders, I am only bringing my people with me where I'm going back to the Father. If you reject me, you're not, gonna, you're not going with me. You will die in your sin and you will have two deaths, a physical death and a spiritual death. And because you and I are, watch this, because you and I are in Christ, in our death we are also in Christ. So we are His. We belong to Him. The Spirit has been put inside of believers, a deposit guaranteeing our future inheritance. So I just want to say it out loud this morning. Christ follower, believer in Jesus today, we do not have to fear death. So again, live wisely in these days. Don't go try to die. It's not the point. But here's the thing. We, if it comes, and by the way, it's going to come. By COVID or by something else, death is coming. And if you're a believer, I look forward to the day of knowing that when this life is over, I step into the very presence of Jesus. Listen to what John wrote. Listen to these words. This is in Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. John writes, And I heard a voice from heaven saying this, Write this. What? And here's what John wrote. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Holy Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. So Jesus is pleading with the religious leaders. I'm bringing the saved, I'm not bringing sinners with me. I'm bringing those who believe in me, and you will never see heaven because where I'm going, you cannot come because you haven't believed. And so let's look at the next thing, and it's found in verses 23 and 24. I want to talk about Jesus' origin, not that he had an origin, but he came from heaven in the sense of that, and the authority of his words. Look in 23 and 24. So he said to them, you are from below, and I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of the world, this world. And I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. You see, the difference in destinations has everything to do with the difference in origins. If you're of the earth and you're not born again from above, then the destination is eternal separation. But if you're here on the earth and you come to salvation in Christ, we are born again, we are born from above, and our, or, our destination, because we're born again here, is heaven in God's presence for all of eternity. And there's a great chasm that is fixed between those who don't know the Lord and the Lord. And there's not a way... I hope you know this. There's not a way for you and I to come to church enough, be good enough, give away enough money, whatever the case may be, to build a bridge. We build a bridge to get to God. We can't build a bridge to get to Him. So what did God do? God laid His life down, and He came to us to offer to us salvation. So here's these religious leaders. They don't see the chasm. They think that they've done enough to be able to get to heaven and earn the right for heaven but they forgot what the prophet Isaiah wrote Isaiah 64 6 says this we have all become one like we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment we all fade like a leaf it's leaf season have you noticed they're everywhere 
They'll be gone soon. They disintegrate and they disappear. We are all like a leaf. We just eventually disappear. And our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. And they take us away if we don't come to Christ, to an eternal separation. As a matter of fact, this great chasm was also affirmed by Jesus' words in Luke chapter 16, 26. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not, may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And so Jesus is communicating that, men, you are going to die in your sin. And here's the reality. Here's what I want you to know. I want you to understand this. Your origin is from below, and that's not enough. You cannot do enough if your origin is from below, to get to heaven and come to where Christ is. So therefore, what do we need? We need the one who is of heaven and from heaven. We need a birth from him. And so Jesus tells them, your origin is from below. You are of this world. And then Jesus says, I am from above and I am not of this world. This word world in the Greek is a word cosmos and it, and it more describes um, a belief system, a system of belief that is established, that is opposed to the gospel and the glory of God. And so we see this all around us. There are systems everywhere that oppose the glory of Christ. Atheism, humanism corrupt politics whatever it is and this world is just passing away and so the world is against Jesus and so he's telling these men he's saying listen you are buying into the ways of the world and buying into your own false religious system that cannot save you only I can save you and rescue you and I am from above and so you've got to trust and believe in me by the way this phrase in John's gospel seven times I am the good shepherd I am the light of the world I am the bread of life all of these I am's is a word that is ego am I and it means this or ego am I and it means this that he is that he is I am that I am he is the one that exists he's the eternal one and he uses that very word here in talking about separation from him I am the one who is the divider of mankind you believe in me you go to heaven you do not believe in me you will not 41 times in john's gospel you know what jesus says the father sent me the father sent me he sent me in 21 chapters 41 times jesus affirms this why because he was sent to rescue us he was sent to lay his life down and to call people to salvation so that we would not be eternally separated. And so the hope this morning is that we are of below and we can't do anything about it. This, this idea is not just of the earth, but he's telling them, you're going to hell, men, if you don't trust in me. You're going to be of below, but I'm going to heaven if you want to come to where I am You've got to trust and you believe and believe in me. So yes, it carries the idea they were of the earth, but it also carries the idea is that they were below. Heaven is above, hell is below. That is the picture that the scripture gives us. And so he tells them, Your origin is from below, I am from above. And so therefore, thirdly, he says this belief in my words is going to define and determine your destiny. And so look at eight. 24 again I told you that you would die in your sins 
For unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. We need a new origin and a new line that is greater than us. I want you to keep your finger in John 8. I want you to go over Romans chapter 5 just for a moment. I want you to read this because I think this is really important. Romans 5. So belief in his words defines our destiny. Do we believe that he is the only one or are we just going to keep control? Man's origin is from below. Jesus is from above. And if we're going to get a new destination, then we need a new birth that transforms everything about where we are from. So Romans 5, verse 15 and following. Listen to what Paul writes about this reality. But the free gift, and this free gift of God, is not like the trespass or the sin of Adam. For if many die through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, again we're talking about Adam and his sin there, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all, Men, all the human race, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's, listen to this, disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. There is such hope in that. Amen to that. See, Jesus is greater than the trespass. He is greater than the sin. He's greater than that. And God, Adam's sin just has devastated the world. What we've experienced in 2020, by the way, we can trace all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. This is where all the brokenness came. This is where all the confusion, this is where all the hiding, this is where all the misunderstanding began. And so here we are thousands upon thousands of years later and the confusion is there. But glory to God that when Christ died on the cross through that one, and we're going to talk more about that here in a moment as we end, when we end, through that one man's great obedience, salvation was offered to the many in justification. And when we talk about this here in a moment, we will see that Christ's obedience, I hope we see it this morning in such a fresh way, in in a deeper way than we have ever seen it, because that has happened to me this week so watch what's being done here men you're going to die in your sin if you don't believe in me you are of the earth i am from above you need a new birth you need a transformation and and i belief in me determines your destiny so if you reject me you will never see me again you cannot come to where i am because i am from above and that's where i'm going 
and you are of the earth, and if you're going to get to where I am, then you have to believe in my words. And when you and I come to know him in salvation, then we are removed in a sense. We're in the world, but we're not of the world anymore. Our citizenship is completely of another kingdom. We're no longer citizens of this kingdom, marked by its passions and desires, but now we've been given a new nature, marked by a passion and desire to walk in obedience to him. So Jesus shares with them, man, here's the thing. I am of heaven. You're not. You can't earn your way. You can't be good enough. You can't do this. And the authority of my words is telling you that the Father has sent me and you must believe in me. Let's look at the third thing in verse 25 this morning. So they said to him, can you hear them? Who are you? Who do you think you are? And Jesus said to them, well, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. And by the way, if you go back to the verse before, you know, they're, they, they are talking about, um, will he kill himself? Watch what they're doing. If he kills himself, the Jews had a very strong belief that that was one of the most grievous things that you could do. And if you killed yourself, committed suicide, you would go to hell. And so what are they thinking? Here's this guy who's a blasphemer, violates the Sabbath. Jesus is going to hell. We're going to heaven. And Jesus is telling them, no, 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 no. I'm going to heaven, back to where I came from, and you're not coming with me. And now they mock him one more time. Who do you think you are? Who are you? What in the world? And so they mock him, his claims of I am, and likely mock his words. They only wanted to challenge him. They were never really interested in knowing the truth. And I believe it's a bit incredulous for them to ask him to clarify who are you, for he has been telling them over and over and over again. This is who I am. This is who I am. This is who I am. He has not stopped telling them who he is and then he says not only about his nature as they ask about that and he 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 has been sharing all along and then jesus said to them just what i've been telling you from the beginning his word and his mission never changed he just kept saying the same thing over and over this is what i do this is who i am he always said the same thing now in a moment hang on Ren, before you put the pictures up there 2020, have we said, has been an interesting year? It's been an interesting year. But there's something that's gone on and that we've been waiting to communicate to you that's just started in these recent days that we wanted to share with you. As you know, over the last multiple years, we have been a very going church, very missional church. 2020 has kept us from going anywhere, and, and so we've not gone anywhere. And so we've had this money every Sunday, whatever, the, let's say $10,000 is put into the offering this morning, a 1,000 of it gets moved to missions. Every Sunday we put 10% over into missions. And so we've had this money sitting in the missions account this year and just kind of sitting there, and we're going we're gonna to give a good portion of that, continue to give a good portion of that away. But one of the things that we've done with it is that, as you know, we have a partnership in Asia with a, with a group of believers there. There's a part of the Himalayan mountains, way up in the northwest part of the Himalayan mountains, listen to this, where the gospel, the name Jesus in the gospel, a believer had never stepped foot in that place. Jesus' name has never been mentioned. A believer has not been there. 
until about nine or ten months ago. And there's a village up in that area, a group of people where there was a believer and shared their faith. Somebody else believed, somebody else believed, and there's about 12 people there. So way up in a place where the gospel for the last 2,000 years had not gone and touched and been spoken out loud, the gospel's there now. And so we're helping them in the midst of unreached people. As a matter of fact, there's a picture, I don't have it this morning, of, a, of another mountain that they pointed out to us where if you went up that mountain, not real far away, but kind of far away, further than I want to walk and climb, you would be in China. And the gospel's never gotten to those places, but it's gotten to this place, and there are 12 believers now, and we are helping them build a building to be a life center in the midst of this. And I want to show you a few pictures. These are the first believers in the last 2,000 years on this planet in that part of the Himalaya Mountains. So we'll take that in. That's just amazing. So there they are. Not all of them are of that village. Some of them are partners who have gone. All right, Ren, let's go to the next one. We hope to go there in April if everything works out. This is how you fly in there. You, you fly in a plane and land up in the mountains. Scary. looks exciting. I can't wait to land there. It's a place called Rara Lake, R-A-R-A, and it's the highest lake in Nepal. Let's go to the next one. See that little road there? It's one lane road. When you cross the river there, there's one car. There's not multiple cars. You ride donkeys, or you walk, or you get on this one car. I want you to picture a forerunner and about 15 to 18 people in it. That's how you travel, sitting on people's laps, and that's what we will be doing getting there. There's the, there it is. It's just one lane road going up the mountains. Go to the next one, Ren. Once you get there, you can't go by any kind of vehicle anymore. I guess bike you could. You get across this, and then you hike for five hours to get to the place. We're talking remote, remote, remote. Next one. I can't. I told the first service this morning, I can't wait to see David Freeze riding on a donkey. But anyway, it would be awesome. All right, next. Here they are. There's the church meeting. Which, again, I just want to remind you, for 2,000 years, believers had never met there and spoken the name Jesus. And they're talking about Jesus there, a small group of people. Well, there's the land. In the Himalayas, you don't have flat land. So what do you do? You dig out the mountain. And so they've been digging out the mountain there, and that's where the church building will be, right there. And the last photo is that's where it is. The pastor lives above there, and, and I need to talk with him. I should have told him, don't live by the church if you're the pastor. <laughs> they didn't ask me, but anyway, he's going to have lots of knocks on his door. Can I get into the building? But anyway, church, why do I show that this morning? I show that this morning because of this, because 2,000 years ago, after the Feast of the Tabernacles, Jesus told a group of religious leaders, my mission is the same. And 2,000 years later, LifePoint has joined with the very same mission of Jesus, and it's to proclaim his name, that life is found in his name. And in the Himalayas right now, way up in the northwest corner near the border of China, 
people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Is that not amazing that our little church gets to be a part of what God's doing there? So we're going to wind this up here in just a moment. His mission doesn't stay. So they're asking, who are you? Who do you think you are? And he's like, I've been telling you, I've been telling you, I've been telling you that I am the Son of God who's come to rescue the world. And he reminds us in 26 and 27 that Jesus is the one sent by the Father to declare Him to the world. So he says, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but He who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from Him. They, and they did not understand that He had been speaking to them about the Father. And there's a tragic word here that he says to them, he says, look, I have much to say about you and much to judge. He's going to not teach them anymore. This is about the end of it. And he says, what I'm going to say now is, is I'm going to speak words of judgment because you are rejecting my offer of life and you are rejecting me. And says, So he's telling them, what I'm going to say are just words of judgment to you when all he's done is offer them this incredible life in him. And it's tragic, but then Jesus says, but you can trust in the true declaration of what I'm telling you because He who sent me, the Father, He is absolutely true. And I'm declaring to the world and I'm declaring to you exactly what I heard from Him. And so what you've seen from me is what He does. What you've heard from me is what He says because that's all that I do. And therefore, there becomes this dangerous destiny of those who miss the point that you have to come to Jesus. And so 27 says they didn't understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. They were so blind and dark in their understanding of Christ that they never clued in that he was speaking to them about the loving Father who had sent him. And I live in a world in 2020 where the world is still missing the point. The world still is not understanding that there's hope in Jesus. The world is confused that fear is an answer and staying away from people is an answer. And I'm here today to say that God had come and He's calling you to Him. And He's calling us to do what we're doing this morning. To sit next to each other. To be in a room with each other and to be reminded this is not our home. It's not our home. I don't know about you, but I'm heading, all of us are heading somewhere else, but I'm heading to heaven because I have staked my life on the blood and the life of Jesus. I can't be good enough. I've lived with me long enough. 55 years is enough to learn that I can't get it right. And so I need to give it up and I need to trust in the one who has finished the work because I can't finish it. So I trust in what he has done. And then Jesus says to them something that we glory in, and I want us to glory in it again. Jesus' identity is and glory is clearly seen in the cross. Look what he says in 28. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will know that I am He. You're going to know that I'm He when I am lifted up and that I do nothing on my own authority but speak just as the Father 
taught me. I think there's two meanings here. We can't ignore the context, but there's one primary meaning. The context is he's been telling them, I'm going away, you can't come. So he is speaking about his ascension or his exaltation when he left the earth and he went to sit at the right hand of the Father. But he's also really talking about as well when he's lifted up from the earth and he would die on the cross. I think both of these things are in mind, but probably a little bit more the picture of the cross. This is not anything new. Jesus has already spoken about this in John's gospel. In John three fourteen and 15, he said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And he will say it one more time in John twelve thirty two. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show about what kind of death he was going to die. If you're a believer this morning, you've come to faith in Christ, I want to remind you that this cross is not what he died on, and I point to it a lot, and it's here because I think it's important for us to remember what the altar that Jesus died on looked like. And I'll say this to us today because I think it's important. The cross was so powerful that a hardened Roman centurion stood at the foot of the cross all day, and at the end when Jesus died saw him hanging there and said, this is a death unlike any other. And he said, this is the Son of God who's on that cross. His death was so powerful that there were tombs all over Jerusalem that opened up and dead people for hundreds of years started walking out of the tombs and roamed around in the city and talked to people. You talk about a powerful death on the cross So there are three evidences that Jesus speaks here to them. And he says to them, when I am lifted up, you're going to know that I am him. As a matter of fact, they knew that Jesus rose from the dead. You know know what the evidence is, is that they knew he rose from the dead? They bribed with money those who guarded the tomb. They bribed them with money to keep them hushed. Because why? Because they knew they couldn't find the body. If they could... If, they, if, they'd have, if the body had been stolen, it could have been... I mean, how do, you, how do you hide a body like that in those days? You know, we find bodies here. You can't... Eventually, bodies are what? They're found. They're found. They couldn't prove it. Why? Because it was true. And there's three clear evidences in the cross that I want to point out just briefly. The cross reveals His nature. You know what His nature is like? I... I'm still blown away this morning as I speak to you. The eternal God who is absolutely holy came here and died for people like you and me. What kind of God do we worship? What kind of God is His nature? He is a righteous God that laid His life down for unrighteous people. And I challenge you to go find that kind of love out there because you're not going to find it. But you're going to hear it this morning and hear that his nature is that he's incredibly loving and it's why we glory in the cross. Secondly, Jesus speaks here that the cross reveals that he only did what the Father wanted him to do. He does everything in his Father's authority. And so therefore, the authority of Jesus is also God. And so Jesus says there in the third part of verse 28, and that I do nothing on my own authority. This is to be seen as a God-ordained work of the Father and Son of His dying on the cross. 
Philippians 2 tells us that he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow on earth and in heaven and under the earth to the greatness of his glory. You see, the cross was the plan of the Father for Jesus. On the day of Pentecost, Peter said at this, Acts 2.22 and following, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Listen to what Peter writes. This Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Who planned the cross? Man or God? God did. It's amazing. It's amazing this morning. Do you hear that today? He knew what we would be like. He knew that we would rebel. He knew what Adam would do. And this trespass would come. And it would infiltrate our bodies and, and every person ever born. And separate us. And this great chasm would be there. But Christ was going to come by the definite foreknowledge and plan of the Father. He would come. So watch this. So when Jesus was 10, when he was 14, when he was 22, he knew why he came. He would go and he would lay his life down on a cross. And he was obedient all the way through. All the way through. Jesus said in John 74, I've glorified you on earth, having accomplished, listen to these words, This is before he died on the cross. Listen to these words. I have glorified you on earth, speaking to his Father, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now, wait a minute, Jesus. You haven't even died yet. So how can you say you've accomplished the work? You know why Jesus can say before he died on the cross that he'd accomplished the work? is because he was going to do everything in his Father's will and authority. He would go to the cross. Was it difficult in the Garden of Gethsemane? Yeah, it was. Father, may this cup pass for me, and nevertheless, we know that he said, not my will, but your will be done. He became obedient all the way to death, even death on a cross. So hours before he even died, he could say, I have accomplished the work. Why? Because he was going to accomplish the work. He wasn't going to deter his life from this mission. And thirdly, so the cross reveals the glory of God in His nature, that Jesus does everything in His Father's authority. And thirdly, it reveals that He spoke and did exactly what the Father spoke and desired for Him. So the last part of 28 says, He says, but I speak just as the Father taught me. Now we're going to have a little John quiz. Y'all ready? It's not complicated. So all through this, since John chapter 5, Jesus has said, I only do what my Father does, and I only say what my Father says. So all through Jesus' life here on earth, the Father was telling him, you're going to the cross. And this act here of healing on the Sabbath day that is my activity, and it's God-ordained, and it's okay for God to heal on the Sabbath, but it's going to lead you to the cross. And so you're going, and Jesus just said, all right, I'm going all the way. So when Jesus spoke these words that he would be lifted up, 
He's speaking words that the Father had already spoken. They had come from the Father, and Jesus is to die. And I believe that when we come to know and love Jesus, one of the most natural results is that we also really come to know the glory and the nature of who Christ is. Guess who hates the cross? Satan. That's why for the last 2,000 years you have crazy cults and crazy teaching and softening and lessening of the glory of the cross in a culture because he's wanted to bring confusion and mockery to the glory of the cross and it's a means of salvation to those that are lost. So Satan will downplay the absolute necessity of the substitutionary death of Jesus. Oh, there's another way. No, there's not another way. But Satan will fight toward that end. See, the cross changes us. And Jesus said, you lift me up, you'll know that I am he. You'll know that I am he. All right, let's finish up. And so Jesus tells him in 29, and he who sent me, he's with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. So Jesus is telling them, you can reject and you can refuse to believe in me, but I want you to know this. I didn't come, watch this, I didn't come for your approval. I came for the approval of my Father. That is my great passion. And so Jesus tells them, I live in a way to know this, that I'm not alone. I'm not alone. My Father is with me. He has not left me alone. On the day of Pentecost, Peter, in that same sermon, the very next verse that I read a while ago in Acts chapter 2, speaks about this perspective. Acts 2.24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. And Jesus is indicating here his great security in the midst of rejection and fighting and all this stuff with the religious leaders. He was never alone or abandoned by his father. And when you think about it for a moment, it, it reminds us that when he hung on the cross and he did look to the skies and he looked up there and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The powerful reality of that moment is significant when he bore our sin on the cross so that's his great security he was not going to be alone and then let's finish with this his great pleasure so jesus says in the third part of 29 for i always do the things that are pleasing to him i don't know about you i don't know how to say that i don't always do exactly what god wants me to do and everything completely pleasing but Jesus did he knew it he understood it and I can only wish that every decision in my life was grounded in always desiring to do everything that pleases God and I know that if I did that my desire and appetite through him would just continue to increase as it has through the years 
and I would walk in better obedience. But listen to this church as we finish. Because this is the astounding thing. He knew that he would come and that he would die. And he did not come for our approval. He did not come for our aff- to give our affirmation. Aren't you great, Jesus? He came for the affirmation and pleasure of his Father. And because that was his great mission, we get the benefit of that. Because he did what the Father said. He said what the Father said. So the Father said, you're going to lay your life down. You're going to be beaten. You're going to have thorns. You're going to be spit on. You're going to be mocked. You're going to be hit. And the crown of thorns is going to dig into your head. All of this is happening. This is what's going to be there in John 10. And I can't wait to get there. I've already written John 10 sermons. When we get to March, we're going to be in John 10. And I can't wait to get to John 10. Because Jesus said, I willingly lay my life down for the sheep. The Father did not make him lay his life down. Jesus so loved the integrity, the glory, the honor, and the holiness of his Father. He so did that that he just said, yes, I will lay my life down because my greatest pleasure is you, Father. You'll remember these words the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 2. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Listen to this. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. What was the joy? Was it our affirmation? No. It was his father's pleasure. He wanted to please the father. And because he wanted to please the father, he endured the cross, despising its shame. And glory to his name. He is seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. So here's the walk part of today. If Christ's great pleasure was to live to the glory of his Father, what is to be our great pleasure? Is to live in obedience to the glory of the Father, of the Son, and of the Spirit. That is to become our greatest passion. And I love, John just writes this and don't skip over it. So you've got religious leaders and they're dressed fancy and they've got these things hanging from their clothing and they're just fighting Jesus. But there's some people hanging around listening to the conversation. And you know what they did? Verse 30 tells us they believed. So you've got people not believing and then you've got people listening and they're believing. And so it says in verse 30, and as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Is our great pleasure obedience to Christ? Saying to him, because of your love for the Father and His glory and your desire for obedience, you did all that. I get the benefit of that and I get their salvation. So now we should understand the depth of that reality that our response now is to live and walk in obedience and faithfulness to Him. There's two deaths, but there can only be one death. It can only have to be just a physical death. If you 
don't know him today, or you have doubts whether you have come to Christ today, I'm going to be back at the back. Mark's going to be back there. If you're a woman and you want to talk to a woman, we would love to talk with you. You can just walk back there and grab us. It's the most important decision you can make. So if you're, a, if you're eight in the room this morning and, and you feel this morning God tugging at your heart, and somebody may say, don't. I'm going to tell you right now, if you're eight, you can believe in Jesus for your salvation right now today. If you're 78 today, you can believe for Christ in your, for your salvation today. Don't walk out of this room like these people in the text. Don't walk out of this room like that. Let's pray.